1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill here on March 25th. We have a new top 25 at BaseballAmerica.com. UCLA still number one. Uh, some of the big movers this week. Arizona, or Arizona State up to 11, but Georgia, who I meant to start with us, they're up to six. And coming into the, the rankings this week, we have TCU in Oklahoma, a little Big 12 flavor uh, among the entrants this week. We're going to get to all of that here uh, as we continue uh, on the show, but I want to welcome in uh, Dave Serrano and Joe Healy. So w- welcome back, guys.
0: Thanks, Teddy. Glad to be back. Yeah, happy to be here.
1: All right. So this week was uh, maybe a little bit quieter around the country, with the exception, I would say, of the SEC. Um, last week, of course, we had that the big shakeup in the top 25 uh, with, with UCLA taking over at the top. and. Uh, a much different looking top 10 overall and this week things were a little more you know the, the like the basketball tournament th- things played out a little more to form uh, this weekend and I the big things I think from the weekend were, were mostly in the SEC so that's where we're gonna get started the SEC at you know with so many teams in the top 25 consistently produces uh, exciting top 25 matchups and I thought one of the big ones this weekend was Georgia hosting LSU and, and like I mentioned, Georgia, a big mover in the top 25, up to number six this week because they won that series against the Tigers in Athens. Um, the Bulldogs this season have started very well. Um, they are they, they have yet to lose a weekend. They're up to, to 21 and 4 overall. And you know it, it's just a team that, that really is rolling right now. And um, but the LSU gave them fits. They, that was a very competitive series all weekend long. And you know the the, the Bulldogs have pretty typically this season relied on, on pitching and defense. They they have a good lineup, but the, the pitching and defense is really the backbone of that team. And uh, it kind of played out that way this weekend. The first two games, uh, LSU won well, the first one, one to nothing, and then. Georgia bounced back on Saturday with a 2 nothing win, so two really good pitchers duels. And then Georgia wins 9-7 in the finale to take the series. A little more offensive. Uh, Georgia's bullpen got tested by LSU. LSU nearly erased uh, Georgia's leads late twice in that game. Uh, but Georgia able to hold on, and like I said, they, they move up to number six as a result. And I've just been very impressed with the Bulldogs to this point. And right now they're sitting at five and one in the league. They're one of three teams in the SEC that are five and one, Arkansas and a and are the other. And the Bulldogs, uh, you know, look like they have some, some serious staying power. They haven't been to Omaha since 2008. Uh, this looks like a team that's capable of getting there. And I, I, it starts with the pitching, I think, especially the rotation. Emerson Hancock Friday night was very, very good in a loss. Uh, and then they had uh, CJ Smith go and, Saturday, and he was strong. And Tony Lose, he was uh, pretty good, I guess, on Sunday. He, he was a little wild. Uh, and the, but he, uh, he gives them a, a third real power arm. And uh, they, they have uh, some depth in the bullpen when they're at full strength. They're not quite at full strength right now. But it's, uh, it's an intriguing group overall. And through six games in the SEC now, they've just made one error, which is uh, absolutely uh, critical. For them and and really for any team, you know, you, you don't give away outs, and uh, that that usually serves you pretty well. But for for LSU now, uh, you know, they, they go back to to Baton Rouge at four and two, having swept their opening weekend against Kentucky. They're still looking to find some success on the road. Uh, they're one and six now away from the box, and so that's pretty tough for them. But that you know, this was going to be a tough series, and I, I thought they acquitted themselves pretty well, but what do you guys think of uh, that series this weekend in Athens
0: well I, I echo what you said Teddy uh, Georgia is definitely for real and it does start with the pitching uh, it's power pitching um, you know and then obviously they're complementing that with defense um, I'm sure coach Strickland has this team playing with a lot of confidence they feel good about themselves. I kind of saw this coming on at the end of the 2017 season with a young group that finished the year 8-3 and three in conference and made it to the SEC tournament and kind of saw the program changing at that time, and, and it sure has. You know, last year hosting a regional, and now this year getting off to a great start. And they are definitely right now on paper the team to beat in the East and, and maybe one of the top two or three teams in all of SEC um partly due to the experience they have now and that they have such good power pitching and they're playing such good baseball.
2: Yeah, for me, you know that phrase where they say, you may forget what someone tells you or what someone does, but you'll never forget the way they made you feel? Um, when I saw Emerson Hancock pitch that weekend I was in Georgia, like, I'll never forget the way I felt in that moment. Like, you, you could really, like, feel it in your fingers. Like, And, 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 and the opponent was UMass Lowell, Yes. Um, but he was just so dominant and looked so impressive, and that you could just feel it. And, and the way I've described it in the aftermath was that there are certain games where early on there's just no hitter energy in the park, and I think everyone can kind of collectively feel that, whether they can verbalize it or not. And he brings that to the park on a day like on a day when he pitched like he did on that day, and he just got the stuff through that every time out. Um, you know, I would counterbalance it with, with what I saw this past weekend, just as a quick aside with, with Doug Nikhazy of Ole Miss. I mean, he had a no-hitter going into the seventh inning, but I think everyone kind of looked up in the sixth inning and was like, oh, yeah, he's got a no-hitter, whereas with Emerson Hancock, we, everyone was very aware from the second or third inning on that that was a possibility. So, um, you know, I, I was kind of left just, you know, so impressed with that particularly but but you mentioned some of the other guys it's not just him getting it done the pitching has just been really really good and and offensively lj tally has been a revelation uh, coach strickland was praised for lj tally uh when i was there and had a chance to talk to him and just you know one of those classy examples of a player who just decided um that he was just going to be better uh, that he was really just going to say enough is enough i'm, I'm going to try to max out what i what i can bring to the team and, and clearly he's done that he's you know hitting close to 400 so um you know their pitching is better than their offense but I think their offense is probably better than it would have otherwise been, um, thanks to LJ Talley just kind of deciding, hey, you know what, I'm going to be a leader on this offense.
1: Yeah, I think Talley's been a key, and uh, Tucker Maxwell, who's hitting out of the nine hole but is absolutely raking down there. He's he's hitting 333 with five home runs and 11 stolen bases, uh, Talley up at uh, 398. but uh, the fact that Maxwell is doing that in the <coughs> nine hole gives you a little bit of an indication of the depth of that lineup, but also... Um, you know, I, I talked with uh, Scott Strickland after yesterday's game, and, and he said that on Saturday was the first time all year that he tried to move Maxwell out of the nine hole. He put him in the seven hole, and Maxwell was kind of like, what, "What are you doing? Like, I hit ninth." And <laughs> they won the game. But uh, on Sunday, Maxwell was back to hitting ninth because, as uh, Strickland said, if, it, "If it's not broke, don't fix it." So he unfixed what, what he had tried to fix on Saturday, and uh, you know, he, he said that he thinks that Maxwell will probably hit down there. He likes the way that, um, you know, kind of turns over the lineup, and, and Maxwell's really embraced it. And I just think that's really cool to see. I mean, you, you have some of these these guys that have been in the program, have been big parts of the program for a few years. And like Dave was talking about, I mean, there were a lot of people in the SEC in 2017 that you know, could see Georgia's growth down the stretch and, you know, were, were out in front of saying, you know, watch out for them in 2018 and that proved to be true and and now it seems like they're taking the next step forward and um you know really establishing themselves as a team that um you know if not the favorite in the east is right there with vanderbilt um at the top of the division and i want to get to vanderbilt in a second but just uh lsu i i want to touch on them as well what they got out of zach hess on on friday night he was matching hancock Re- and actually out Hancock. He didn't allow a run in eight innings, and it uh, w- was just really fantastic for the Tigers. And then, you know, again, they, they didn't quite get it going on Saturday offensively, but I, I thought they fought pretty well on Sunday, and I, I know they're not going to, you know, look at that as anything too much more than a loss. But, I mean, that was, for a team that hasn't played well away from home, I thought this weekend um, they did play pretty well away from the box, so they just didn't get the wins. But, um you know, Joe, what what do you make of uh, what what Zach Hess was able to do, and and what that potentially could mean for LSU going forward?
2: Yeah, it certainly changes kind of the complexion of what I think we feel like their ceiling is, because that's something we've just pointed to, and, and maybe this is a situation where we're seeing Zach Hess kind of figure it out as a starting pitcher. It's been not the easiest transition. Let's let's be honest. I mean, he goes from being a dominant relief pitcher to moved in the rotation. and There's been some fits and fits and starts. I mean, he's had good outings along the way, but there always seemed to be kind of a an outing just around the corner where he'd last two and a third innings and give up four runs and walk six guys. Um, maybe he's starting to kind of grow out of that and turn into the starting pitcher that they they hoped he can be. And if, and if you're going to tell me that that's going to be some version of the Zach Hess we get, I'm asking a lot for him to do that specifically every week. But if that's going to be the type of pitcher that LSU is going to get in Zach Hess, Um, you know I think they really still can reach their ceiling uh, that you know we had in mind for them coming into the season ranking them number two when admittedly I think we all kind of wondered if maybe that was something they could do given the fact that they've been a little bit flat you mentioned being uh, away from home specifically Um, so you kind of look at okay if Zach Kess is that and you know they they find some of these other pitchers to fill in around him whether it's somebody like a Landon Marceau putting it all together as well um, the offense has been has been solid for the most part that really hasn't been too much of an issue when they've uh, the Georgia series kind of notwithstanding, but we just talked about how good Georgia is on the mound. Um, so I think it's huge. I, I think that was probably the biggest positive, and I wrote in the recap of the weekend uh, in the top 25 rankings for LSU that that has to be the biggest takeaway for them. And, yes, it's a series loss. That's disappointing. But it was on the road, and you know what? I think there are a lot of LSU folks who said, you know what, if, if it's going to be a series loss, at least at least we saw that out of Zach Hess, and that gives them a lot of um, you know a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings heading forward.
1: Yeah, and, and really this is two weeks in a row now because he was really good against Kentucky a week ago. So if, if this is um, figuring it all out, putting it together, I think that's, first of all, outstanding timing. And then second of all, that, that's huge. And we'll see this weekend when they go to Mississippi State uh, if they can do anything on the road and if has is able to continue this, uh, you know, the, the build on this momentum uh, in what is a very big series in Starkville. Also in the SEC this weekend, I mentioned uh, you know if Georgia was not the favorite in the East, it's Vanderbilt, and that is because Vanderbilt uh, really solidified its status as uh, you know a, a top-line SEC East team by sweeping Florida in absolutely domination this weekend in Nashville. Uh, they their offense really exploded over the last two games of that series. And they pitched well all weekend long, starting with Drake Fellows uh, throwing a shutout on Thursday night, and it continued with, uh, with another solid start from Patrick Raby, and, and they finished it, the sweep off there on Saturday. Um, just a really nice bounce back from Vanderbilt after their first series loss last weekend at A&M, and uh, they now sit three and three in the conference, or four and two in the conference, excuse me, uh, just behind Georgia in the east. and it looked much more like the Vanderbilt team that we were expecting when they were ranked number one coming into the year. But Dave, you were on hand there in Nashville. Just what, what were your takeaways from what you saw from Vanderbilt, especially you know comparing them to, to what you saw opening weekend from Vanderbilt in Arizona?
0: Well, the offense didn't surprise me. I, I saw that and talked about early on that that I really felt they were going to be a tough offense to get through as a pitching staff. What surprised me was that notoriously Florida has a strong pitching staff, and they didn't show they didn't show that this weekend. Uh, being outscored 34 to six on uh, over the course of the weekend, I talked to Soli, uh before Thursday night's game because was a Thursday through Saturday series, and he likes his team. Now I didn't talk to him after Saturday's game, but he likes his team. <laughs> It's a a young team, and I don't like to use that crutch, but it is a young team. You know, they've got two guys on their team that should still be in high school. You know, Noel and Chris didn't didn't get to see the field this weekend, obviously, because of the scores. But, um, you know, Tommy Mace, I thought, threw really good on Thursday. I thought it was overshadowed by how well Drake Fellows threw. I thought Tommy Mace matched him pitch-to-pitch, to to be honest with you. He had some, some tough luck, and Vanderbilt took advantage of that, but I thought he threw well. Jack Lefkowitz, on the other hand, did not go well for their Saturday guy. And, you know, when you set up your rotation for weekend series, that Saturday guy is is so crucial because you want that guy to go deep in game so you don't burn bullpen. Well, he went three and two-thirds innings and gave up 12 hits, eight runs, six of them earned. That's not what's going to bode well for a weekend series when you're trying to, to get back to even the series or even take the series. Uh, I thought Tyler Dyson looked really good for the first couple innings. I thought he came out with an attack mode. He had some aggressiveness, and then just absolutely lost it. I thought he got emotional um, in the in the third inning there. And after the third inning and in the fourth inning, the floodgates opened up, he gives up a grand slam, and then it was Vanderbilt from there. But for me, guys, I think uh, for me watching the series, and I've seen Vanderbilt for the second time, uh, My more concern with Florida is where the offense is going to continue to come from. They only had 16 hits on the whole weekend. They didn't hit well in clutch situations. I thought a key part of the series was in game two. Raby did, as you said, he pitched well. If you look at his line score, six innings pitched, only one hit given up. But his command was not Patrick Raby's style. He walked six guys over those six innings. And in the third inning, he uh, gave up a walk. They end, the guy ended up getting thrown out the ceiling and then walked three in a row where he wasn't even close. I mean, it was balls in the dirt. It was balls above his catcher. that hit his head to the side of the catcher. And then Maldonado comes up, and the count goes 3-1 and one on him, and he swung at a borderline 3-1 pitch to make it 3-2 and fouled it off and eventually got out to end the inning. And sure enough, as Coach Garrido, who I played for, once said, Defense, momentum on defense could lead to offense. The next inning in the bottom of third, Vanderbilt puts the sixth spot on the board. And it was all all was it was over then, basically. And I thought that was a key moment of the series. But I, I'm just concerned about the offense for Florida. I, I really am. From the Vanderbilt side, I made this comment when I was sitting with some people up in the press box. I think what what Drake Fellows did and what Patrick Raby did really allowed Kumar Rocker to have a good showing in game three on Saturday. I think Fellows set the tone on Friday night with a, a, a well-pitched game, I would say probably his best pitch game of the year, especially because of the atmosphere of the two teams. Raby followed that up with maybe not a great outing, but a good outing to give the team a win. And then, I mean, how can you argue six innings, one hit, one, one hit allowed uh, besides his command? But then it allowed Kumar to go out and do his thing on, on Saturday. And even though I did see Florida's swings became a little bit more aggressive and better off of him. Uh, He still was able to pitch well enough, especially when they got the lead four to two, he took control of that game and, and had a good line score pitching in or through six innings. And I really like Vanderbilt. If they can get, continue to get that good starting pitching, it's going to make them even scarier Florida. There's more concerns now. I mean, obviously, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan's in a position he hasn't been in a while. They're one in five. They're looking up at people. This is a big weekend for them to get off the mat. And, and uh, you know if anyone could do it, Sully so can do it. He's a great coach, a great program, but they have some work to do. They have some work to do, and they're going to have to grow up fast as a team.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it the the offense early on was was going so well, and it was doing it kind of without guys like Laneworthy and Dalton, and. I just kind of assumed that those guys would get it going and then that offense would, you know, even if some of the, the younger hitters uh, were figured out a little bit or slow down a little bit, that, that, well, that would coincide with the, the juniors getting it figured out. But that, that has not happened at this point. And that is a, probably the biggest, one of the bigger concerns about Florida right now, but I, you know, the, the way that they're pitching right now is just so abnormal um, to what they're, they're used to doing there that it's, uh, it's con- it's a little confusing right now, but, you know, it is a young team. I do still feel like they'll get it figured out, but they have to get it figured out already. Now, the good news for Florida is this week they play Florida State in Alabama, and Florida State, of course, they scored a ton of runs on in the first game, and they've won like nine in a row against the Noles or something like that. And then Alabama, if there are no easy weekends in the SEC, but Alabama at home is kind of what you would want. Probably uh, that if you uh, if you're trying to get right, so this is the chance for Florida to do it. They absolutely have to take advantage of it uh, here in the next five games. You can throw in Florida A&M next week because then they go at all Miss, and you know things things kind of heat heat up when, when you go back out on the road in the SEC. So Florida has to some, figure some things out, and um, you know we'll see how they bounce back. Vanderbilt they they did a really good job of bouncing back this weekend and now they have uh, Tennessee coming in next weekend for, for a rivalry series uh, before heading to Georgia in what could be a showdown that could go a long way to deciding the SEC. So, intriguing couple of weeks coming up here for the Commodores. Uh, the last series I want to touch on in the SEC was Mississippi State beating Auburn in what was an absolutely wild series all weekend long at Duty Noble um, team split the first two games, almost nothing held the form. Tanner Burns got hit around in the first inning on Friday night. That kind of set the tone for just how ridiculous the series was going to be, and it ended up in a rubber game on Sunday where Auburn jumped out to a pretty sizable lead in the middle innings only to have Mississippi State erase it, and then they went back and forth for a while, and finally Mississippi State won 20-15. to They scored seven unanswered. To finish that off, uh, a nice touchdown drive there at the end of the fourth quarter, I guess, uh, in Starkville, um, it was uh, it was a wild one, and Mississippi State found a way to win, which is encouraging, and I, I think that the offense they showed is pretty encouraging. I don't know quite where they feel like the pitching staff is right now. Auburn definitely can hit, uh, but that there were there were a lot of runs given up this weekend, so I it'll be interesting to see. How the Bulldogs come back from that in terms of how their pitching regroups, but in the meantime, I think they can feel really good about the series win there, Joe.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It was just uh, that Sunday game was one of those where, you know, on Sunday a lot of the games are kind of all ending around you know a similar time, and so you're kind of just flipping, looking at scores or flipping streams on and off just based on what's an intriguing game. And I flipped that one on when it was. I don't even remember what the score was because it was so hard to keep up with, but in the sixth or seventh inning, and I actually ended up just having to turn it off because I would look away to work on something else, and I'd come back and I'd missed four runs and have no idea what happened. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to come back when this one's over and just look and see how it it played out. I think that was probably the better option there, but just a a wild and crazy game there. And I think it just kind of continues to go to show that Mississippi State can win any time any type of game that you want to play. You know, if they if they need to win a pitchers duel, they can do it. You know, if they need to outslug you, they show they can do that. And uh, you know, the bullpen got hit around a little bit um, over the weekend, but the, the, they're in a position of strength where I think they feel like they don't need to necessarily leave someone, leave one guy out there to wear it. You know, sometimes you you see bullpen situations where they've got a team's got just a couple guys, and um, they feel like even if they one of their guys is getting hit around they're just going to let him wear it because it's not necessarily going to get any better. But they were able to cycle through some guys and try to find the eventual combination. And while I don't know that I'm, given how many runs were scored, I don't know that I would say they ever really found necessarily the guy who was like really locked in, but they got enough outs. And that's really all that, all that matters there. A big thing for them, I, I talked last week about how Rowdy Jordan was kind of the one regular in their lineup who was who was struggling a little bit, and looks like he's coming out of it. His average is back above two hundred. I think he went three for five in that Sunday game. Of course, I guess everybody had three hits, but uh, um, but that that would be a big a big uh, development for them just to kind of have everybody going at the same time. And um, you know, for Auburn, it's it's kind of a similar thing offensively to Florida, where you look and, and two of the guys that are are really struggling are actually Will Holland and Stephen Williams, who on the list of guys you had a lot of confidence in, other than. Julian, they would probably would have been one and two or two and three, depending on how you feel about Julian. So, um, you know, someone it's, it's one of those deals were like Langworthy and Dalton. Um, do you still kind of believe that they're going to come around uh, and, and be big parts of this lineup, or maybe, um, or maybe not? Maybe they. they, they they, they won't necessarily. I mean, we're almost the halfway point of the season now, so it's kind of getting to the point where you start to have to have to wonder if this just kind of is what it is. So um, those are kind of some questions there. And in pitching wise, it, you can see how not having Jack Owen in the rotation for Auburn really did kind of change the complexion of what they were able to bring to the table pitching-wise. And, um, you know, still sounds like his injury is not anything to be overly alarmed about, but um, still had some stiffness in the middle of the week. So he got skipped and uh, put Auburn in a situation, especially when, when Tanner Burns got hit around a little bit in game one, even though he was, he was able to get him to the middle innings. Um, you know, they, they had a situation where they brought Elliot Anderson back to start on Sunday after having had him come out of the bullpen on Friday. So the pitching felt a little thin with uh, Jack Owen not in there and with Tanner Burns not giving them quite as deep a start as they're used to getting from him. Um, so you know, it was just kind of a different Auburn team uh, than what we'd seen so far this year because they, they've been able to stay, you know, to use a football term, stay on schedule um, with you know Tanner Burns giving them what, they, what he's given them every time out on Friday and then Jack Owen's been... Um, you know so solid in his starts on Saturday and then on Sunday they can kind of afford to mix and match a little bit because the bullpen's been pretty fresh. Um, Wasn't necessarily the case this weekend and maybe um, that's kind of what we saw throughout this series is that you know once they got past those couple of guys Mississippi State was able to feast a little bit.
1: Yeah Auburn is definitely thin on the mound right now um, with Owen down and Davis Daniels still down and they just aren't they? Don't have the depth that some other teams have. That, that's just a reality for the Tigers. It's going to be a reality, um, you know, throughout the season, even if they get Owen and Daniel uh, back healthy. And I think it's showing. And I mean, they gave up 35 runs the final two games. And uh, that's what missing two of those big guns in your rotation does. Like, that you can't take those guys out and just kind of expect not to have an effect, and I thought it said a ton about Auburn that on Sunday it looked like they were going to win the game, Uh, even without those two guys, even with a pretty terrible loss on Saturday that they had bounced back, Uh, and ultimately I guess they just kind of ran out of arms there at the end of the game and and weren't able to keep that potent Mississippi State lineup down. But for them to have been in that series as late as they were, uh, given everything that's going against them, you know, the the injuries— being on the road, and, and Mississippi State had outstanding crowds all weekend. Um, you know, I, I thought that said a lot about Auburn, but at the same time, they need to get Davis Daniel and Jack Owen back. And without them, it's it's a different team. And uh, I, I still like where, where Auburn's at. You know, like, like we said, Jack Owen's injury not expected to be much of a deal. Um, but the sooner they get one or both of their starters back there behind Tanner Burns in that rotation, uh, very much the better uh, for Auburn. Now, I mentioned earlier that there are three teams in the SEC sitting at 5-1. and one. We talked about Georgia. I also just wanted to quickly touch on Arkansas and A&M, both of which continue to roll Arkansas. Uh, had a nice series win against Alabama, A&M, went out and swept Kentucky, and you know, we talked about some of these older juniors, slow starts, and are they going to get it going? Well, Braden Schumake was in that boat a couple weeks ago, but he absolutely has gotten it for the Aggies. He had a big weekend at Kentucky. He had a nice weekend the weekend before it against Vanderbilt, so he definitely has uh, locked it in here as SEC play has started, and, and that's great news for the Aggies. And then Arkansas just kind of continues to do what Arkansas has been doing all season. Um, they get Ole Miss coming into to Fayetteville this weekend. And um, you have those two teams sitting at five and one, uh, just ahead of Mississippi State, Auburn and LSU in the West. And I mean, the West looks like an absolute. you know, That that come down to the final weekend of the season. Um, it often does. I think it definitely will this year. I, I don't know how you parse the, the teams at the top of that division right now. Uh, obviously, we have Mississippi State ranked ahead of them, but Arkansas and A&M both made pretty significant moves in the top 25 this week uh, up into uh, number 10 for, for Arkansas. Um, you know, so it, it'll be a, that'll be a wild race to, to watch, and we will continue to watch that uh, as the season continues. Um, now, in the Big 12 this weekend, we, we had some interesting results. We had TCU in Texas uh, at home to start their, their conference slate. You know, a, a team in, in Texas that was coming off of a big series win against Texas Tech, went on the road to Fort Worth, uh, and very nearly came away with a sweep, but ultimately goes back to Austin with two losses, having been walked off on, on Friday, Friday night and then um, getting up a late lead again on Sunday. So an interesting weekend from the frogs, but the frogs ultimately fight through for a big series win, and they're back in the top twenty-five after a few weeks out. Uh, Dave, what, what do you make of uh, the way the the TCU is able to, to fight through and, and, and claim that series win?
0: Well, I, you know, I I heard you loud and clear, and I, I can't even imagine. I've had this feeling before of David Pearson is team getting on the bus with that exact feeling, we could be driving back to Austin with being 3-0 and and they're 1-2, uh, which is not a good feeling. It was all about comeback fashion for, for TCU and obviously the magic that happens in that stadium, Frogs. Uh, a funny thing, a side note, uh, I don't know if anyone caught it, but in, the Fort, in their local Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the headlines on Saturday morning was Horn Frogs struggled to score runs and lost to Texas. That was in the 3-2 to two win that they came back and won. So obviously it was a deadline for that reporter, and he got it. He guessed wrong on that. But that'll kind of just sum up how the weekend went for, for for Texas and for the for TCU in a good way. They're down seven to two in game three, and they scored ten runs over the last three innings to end up coming out on top, uh, twelve to eight. Uh, great way to win for TCU. Tough way to go home for Texas. I still don't. I still don't doubt Texas. I think they're a tough-minded team. I just think they ran into. They ran into a team that was, was going to be resilient all weekend. And I think the key for me how does Texas, Texas respond from that. Obviously, that's a rivalry that's been building for years. That's a tough way to go home. Um, it's tough when you look at the end of the year and the standings. That can make the difference. And one of those two representing the Big 12 is the number one team. So, um, tough weekend. For me, uh, you know, TCU continues to climb and keep doing things and all that. But for me, the concern still with them is their, is their three starting pitchers. Obviously, Ladola went out and did his thing again in in, in the, the game Friday night where they came back to 1-3-2. to two. But they their two-starter that's, that's the concerning right now. I know early on they tried Van Zick and that, that wasn't working. And Jake Eisler had a tough outing this weekend. That's going to be something they're going to have to fix. And uncharacteristically, as well as Williamson's been throwing, he got roughed up a little bit on Sunday, too. So, the starting pitching is, is, has become a concern for TCU, and I don't know where the depth is for that. The other thing that's kind of been brushed under the rug a little bit is they're not playing typical TCU defense. They're they're making a lot. They're making some errors. I know they made four errors in Sunday's game. They've got to clean that up. That's been part of their mojo as they've had this success over the years as they pitch and play defense. And to me, that's what wins championships, and I think they're going to have to clean those two things up. Their offense seems to be... They're getting big hits when they need to. That's what accounted for the wins this weekend. But I think their pitching and defense still need to be cleaned up a little bit for them to be the team that they've been over the course of the last five, six years that we've been accustomed to seeing.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting you know, note on, on the pitching staff there. You know, Because Lodolo has been so good and Williamson has been so solid that it's kind of masked some other concerns. And But yeah, they still haven't, Figured out that third rotation spot and need to get that worked out um, because that you know, they can't have they've been giving away a game a weekend it seems like for the last few weeks and they can't be doing that as they get into the the heart of Big 12 play and uh, on Texas's side you know they got to regroup now but it, they fortunately I guess get um, you know a, a Big 12 bye week this week they get Savior coming in so. They uh, they have a chance to to step back out of, of conference play, take a breather and uh, regroup. And Xavier's a solid team, but it's it, it, obviously it's different from facing um, you know a conference opponent. So that that is I guess one good thing about in, in favor um, or going in Texas's favor this week, and in, in just in terms of the schedule. Uh, I mentioned we had also had Oklahoma coming in. To the top 25. At number 25, Oklahoma now 21 and four. Uh, swept Kansas to start Big Play. Uh, the Sooners just have really been rolling all season long. I honestly don't know that anything is is going all that differently right now. That this is just a team that that's won a lot of games all year long against some pretty solid competition. Um, they they've only lost four times and um, you know only. Uh, they're, they're on a they're on a very nice streak right now, having uh, swept Kansas, you know, swept a midweek uh, against uh, New Mexico this week. So a nice five and zero week coming off of uh, a series win against Missouri State. The Sooners have won seven in a row now. Uh, going into this week, they have the first uh, of the Bedlam games, and on Tuesday against Oklahoma State, uh, they're on the road, and then they go to West Virginia. So it gets a little tougher this week with with four road games, but. Joe, what what do you make of the Sooners? This was a team that lost a lot of pieces uh, off of last year's regional club, uh, but they're they're humming along right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think I'm at the point where I'm just ready to say that this is just a good well stop. Um, You know, there were some caveats when I wrote about them a few weeks ago. There was kind of some caveats here and there. about, will you know will so and so be able to kind of keep this up? And there's still some, and they really just kind of continued, like you said, to to hum along. I mean. yeah, Kate Cavalli has been out. I mean, Kate Cavalli got kind of a stealth John Olerud Award campaign going on. Um, you know, there's some some guys who have maybe been a little bit louder about their campaigns. Davis Sharp at Clemson, for example. Um, but Kate Cavalli at, on the mound, three and one with a 164 ERA at the plate, hitting 385 with a 424 on base percentage. Um, you know, he doesn't. He unlike some two way players, he doesn't always hit when he pitches. Um, so he's only played in 13 games, so that might kind of um, hamstring his his uh, uh, bid for for that award, but he's just been absolutely outstanding, and he's been part of that rotation with, you know, Nathan Wiles, the veteran out there, and then Levi Prater, the converted reliever, um, and it's, that's just gone absolutely better, as well or better than, than probably Skip Johnson could have ever imagined. Uh, you know, Levi Prater's ERA, he's under one, for goodness sakes. Um, so, they've just shown that high-end talent on the pitching staff, and they've Got some depth there too, and I think a big key there has been Jason Ruffcorn, who's the M transfer, who got his, I think it was the day before the season uh, started that he got his uh, waiver uh, approved to go ahead and play for Oklahoma this year. And and you know if you look at their their bullpen without him, um, you could see how they might have had some some depth concerns. And and Skip Johnson was was pretty open about that when I talked to him. He said, you know, we feel pretty good about like a core of. You know, four guys or so out there in the bullpen. And if you take him out, obviously they're a little bit thinner, but he's, you know, he's been their primary closer. He saved six games, has a 108 ERA. Um, so he's been a huge key. It's allowed him to kind of bump everybody down a spot and give them some depth. And then offensively outside of, you know, Tyler Hardman's back and he looks better. Bryer is, is doing blee wear things. He's one of those players who, you know, his position is just hitter. Um, and that's all he's done at Oklahoma throughout his career, and he, he's doing it again. And, you know, I mentioned Brandon Zaragoza taking a step forward offensively and getting on base at an over 400 clip. That's been huge as well. They've got a test this weekend. They go to West Virginia. Uh, you know, West Virginia, a talented team a little bit up and down this season, but adding a layer of difficulty to that is just the fact that it's at West Virginia, which is a tough place to travel to, you know, it's, it's out of the way, um, that can be a tricky thing, but the, the big weekend to look forward to is a couple weekends from now against TCU, and, and that's probably, you know, if we assume that Texas Tech and Texas, and we've talked a lot about those two teams, if we assume that those two teams are the class of the Big 12, and it seems like that is the case, um, that that series between TCU and Oklahoma kind of seems like a a prove it series. These two teams is the most serious contender uh, behind Texas Tech and Texas uh, for the Big Twelve title.
1: I think that's a that's a great call on that series. That that's going to be very interesting, and I, this whole week is going to be very interesting for the Sooners. Um, you know, I mentioned all four games on the road just. We'll see. We'll see how the Sooners respond to that. They've been on the road this season. You know, they went two and one in the Tony Quinn Classic uh, out in in San Diego, and, and they're six and two in true road games. So they they do have a road experience, but this is uh, this is going to be uh, you know a big couple weeks for the Sooners, um, and, and as they look to continue to build on this this. I wanted to touch on Pac-12 real quick as well. Uh, first of all, number one UCLA. Just rolls right along, sweeps Arizona. Um, just a, another very strong weekend from the Bruins. Uh, Arizona State, who was your final undefeated team, lost on Saturday at Oregon in extra <clears throat> innings and a walk off. Uh, so they 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 went twenty one to zero to start uh, before taking that loss, and then they bounced back yesterday to uh, to pick up a, a nice ser- road series win. Arizona State. Um, you know, continues to to do everything, and and you know we said early in the season, I was waiting for them on the road, waiting for them to play teams that we felt like were regional caliber. Well, they're starting to do those things, and they're still winning at a really high rate. Uh, so the Sun Devils now looking like a like they're, they're they have very serious staying power, and I think we have to start really taking them seriously as contenders. Uh, you know, to to do pretty big things and and make some noise in lengthy postseason runs. And then also Washington, who made that nice lengthy postseason run last year, reaching Omaha for the first time in program, is off to a five and one start in the Pac-12. I was very interested to see how the Huskies were gonna respond uh, this year. They lost a lot from that team, but so far so good. They're 14 and five. They've taken a couple tough losing weekends. Opening weekend at Irvine, they went one and two, and they went one and two in the Seattle Baseball Showcase against some pretty solid competition. but. Uh, the Huskies getting it done in Pac-12 play again, which is just becoming standard uh, over the last three or four years now. They uh, have been in the mix right at the top of the, the Pac-12 standings every season. And uh, it looks like this year they're they're not going anywhere again. And the pack right now looks super top-heavy when you have Arizona State, UCLA, Stanford, Oregon State, and now Washington all at 500 or better in league play, and everyone else in the conference is under 500. um Obviously, it's early. Uh, things will change in that, but it's possible that that's your delineation in the Pac-12 that those five teams are better than the rest. We'll we'll see as it plays out. I mean, I, we still think Oregon, Arizona, uh, Cal are, are pretty solid teams, but it it might be something to watch if if those five teams can kind of separate from the pack in the pack. Uh, do either of you have Pac-12 thoughts real quickly?
0: Well, I, I, I'll just say this, and you know, since I've come on, I've, I've since my West Coast ties, I, I think I think the Pac-12 is is sometimes underrated. I think there's really good baseball out there. I think some of those teams we're talking about, the Stanford's, the UCLA's of the world. You brought up Washington, obviously Arizona State. What they're doing cannot go unnoticed. Oregon State, last year's national champion. I mean, that's good baseball, and those are good teams. And I will be shocked if we don't see one or two or maybe even three of those teams at the end of the season. It's all gonna depend on obviously how they're bracketed, what come regional times. But I i really feel that right now the West Coast has some of the better teams in the country. And, and notable two of our top three are our West Coast teams. So I, I think the Pac twelve is solid. I know they've been down and I think this is one of their up years and and even some of those teams that you talked about that have not gotten off the good starts in packs, the Oregons and the, and the uh, University of Arizona, those are good teams that have talent that just aren't winning games right now. So I think the Pac's going to have something to say with the national championship and, and Omaha this year before it's all said and done.
2: I think it's worth belaboring the point a little bit with uh, Ryan Garcia coming back for UCLA, because I just think it's kind of incredible that, you know, they, they, they've eased him back in a little bit, and I laud it, John Savage and his staff last weekend for kind of finding um, good opportunities for him, not just to come back to get innings, but finding good spots for him to contribute, and that in the Oregon State Series. And they throw him out there against Arizona uh, this past weekend in seven or third shutout innings, giving up just one hit and one walk with eight strikeouts. So if anybody was thinking that maybe, you know, it might take him a little time to get his feet under him, nope, not at all. Um, he was absolutely outstanding. So um, just uh, the, the, the rich get richer out there pitching-wise, as UCLA adds uh, Garcia back. Back to
1: the mix. Absolutely, and I, I think when we talk about, I you know people ask, uh, it's not, it's a popular popular topic of conversation. Who is the best pitching staff in the country? And uh, you know, I, I think for all the angst that we had about what UCLA's pitching was going to be coming into this year. I mean, quite frankly, the Bruins are in a conversation for the best pitching staff in the country if Ryan Garcia is back, and he showed every indication this weekend against a good-hitting Arizona team that he is back. And I also wanted to, it's a little early still to read too much into RPI, but considering that everyone, and I shouldn't say everyone, considering that a lot of people out West complain about RPI an awful lot, uh, I think it's notable that five of or, yeah, the Pac-12 has five teams currently ranked in the top 12 in RPI. So, you know, if the Pac has trouble putting teams into the postseason this year, it does not look like RPI is going to be the problem. And I don't think they'll have trouble getting teams in, but uh, it right now they're, we're, we're seeing that RPI doesn't have to be a problem for these teams if they, uh, you know, do certain things, if they take care of business, winning games, and, and go on the road a little bit Um they can, uh, they can compile pretty, pretty significant, uh, you know, resumes themselves. And you know, Stanford has known that for a long time, I feel like. And, um, you know, just the, the rest of the league right now is, uh, is following suit. As, you know, the, it, it's going to be an intriguing re- race uh, to follow as we continue here. And, um, you know, I think this weekend with uh, you, you have a couple fun kind of rivalries. Obviously, Arizona and Arizona State is the big one. But I think Oregon State and Washington has developed into a, a nice little rivalry in the, in the Northwest in the last few years as, as Washington's program has risen and um, you know, they're gonna go at it this weekend too. So I think those are two, two fun series to watch this coming weekend out West. Uh, now that brings us to the shout outs portion of the podcast where we uh, brindle light stories that we haven't talked about uh, yet here on the podcast, but deserve uh, some attention. So, Dave, let's, uh, let's go over to you. What, what do you have this week?
0: Well, I'm going to – my shout-outs, uh, we hit on it earlier, but, I, again, I want to say congratulations to the Arizona State Sun Devils. Starting out 21-0, and, 0, and I, I know there's been talk, well, they played a lot of games at home. Who were they playing? The bottom line is they won 21 straight games in Division One baseball. And with the parity now, that's hard to do. Their first loss coming Saturday night on a on a walk off to lose five to four in Eugene, and then to come back to win yesterday and sitting at twenty two and one. I think they're well deserved. Congratulations to Coach Smith and all the Sun Devils on a great start and uh, and best wishes the rest of the way. I'm going to go really outside the box a little bit. i talked about them earlier. I want to say congratulations to the Cal Baptist Lancers. And why I'm doing that is they want to they want a series. On the road at Grand Canyon, a lot of people's picks to win the WAC this year. It was their first series in the WAC, and, and as I stated earlier, on that conference is that they can't qualify for regional play because they're they're on that initiation thing for four years. But they are going to make a difference in who wins that that league, that conference. And congratulations to them going. Like I said, going on the road and winning two out of three at Grand Canyon in their first series ever in Division One in the WAC conference. And from player-wise, something I also think has gone under the radar that I think is just an amazing deal. Uh, I got to see Vanderbilt, as you know, this weekend. We talked about it. <clears throat> and I saw Patrick Raby's line, or his, his stats going into his Friday night start, which was the Thursday to Saturday series. And in his six, after six starts, he is yet to, to give up a double, triple, or a home run so he has yet to relinquish an extra base hit after six starts now it's only 31.2 innings so he has the average of over five innings to start but still in college baseball aluminum bat to not give up an extra base hit after six starts is truly truly amazing and congratulations to patchy
1: absolutely just uh you know it for for a guy who came back for his senior year uh that just a, a great great way to get that started and i will be interesting to see how he, uh, how he, if he's able to continue that because that that is just uh, especially I mean that ballpark I mean it, it's not hard to hit doubles to left field necessarily uh, with that that monster right there. Um, Joe, what uh, what do you got?
2: So to give everyone a peek behind the curtain, we put together a, a podcast rundown sheet that we kind of work off of and a. I'm I'm excited to give my shout-outs because I, I I have to figure Teddy's been one day well, on the Ted, run. Teddy has an idea, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I, I would self go. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, well, you guys are in for something. Okay, so um, something sick last last several days, and I, I'm 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 on the mend here. Is, is a long story short, but uh, apologies to uh, those in Columbia, Missouri. Shout out Ole Miss baseball SID Alex Sims for sitting next to me hacking and coughing and blowing my nose incessantly all day Saturday. Uh, he's a he's a good dude and a trooper for that. Um, but um, so I, I first of all I hadn't used nasal spray in about ten years, um, and I was so desperate just to be able to breathe on Saturday that I went uh, to a pharmacy in Columbia, Missouri, and I picked up some nasal spray. I used it, and oh my goodness, it was like immediate the relief I got to where I could breathe. The downside was like <laughs> I lost my sense of smell for the rest of the day, and I didn't know this was a potential side effect. Um, I don't know if I use too much, because I haven't used it in a while, so I think I may have sprayed too much in my nose. Might have been why I had such an immediate reaction to it, to where like, I just like, felt like I could breathe easier than I had in years. Um, so if you're a physician listening, tweet at me, at Joe on sports, Joe underscore on underscore sports. Did I use too much? Is that like a typical side effect? You know, I, I'm just kind of curious where that. You know, is I,
1: Joe going to die?
2: Yeah, basically, like, <laughs> what, are, what do I need to look out for in the future? <laughs> Um, but it was weird not being able to like taste food or like, you know, when you, you I walked, you know, walked past a guy, somebody barbecuing and I couldn't smell it. It was just the strangest day anyway. Um, so that, that was the that's the nasal spray story. So shout out nasal spray for being a huge help, but also for making me not be able to taste my food on set. It was kind of weird. Um, uh, also I, I talked to Missouri head coach Steve Beezer on Saturday for a little bit. Uh, for something I'm working on. And, and he actually told a, a, an interesting story about recruiting with Cameron Meisner. And he, he mentioned that uh, he was actually, Cameron Meisner is from Poplar Bluff, Missouri, which is not too far from Southeast Missouri State. And when uh, Coach Beezer was the head coach at Southeast Missouri State, uh, he mentioned, you know, I thought I had a pretty good chance to get him at SEMO uh, when I was recruiting him there until Missouri, um, you know, came in and, and offered him an opportunity late in the game. And I just couldn't help but think about what Cameron Meisner would have been able to do in the OVC. And that's no disrespect to OVC talent or pitching, but A, there's some small ballparks out there. And then B, I mean, just look at the numbers that OVC teams put up offensively every single year. Like, I don't know if it's, maybe it's too conservative to say he would have hit, like, I don't know, 550? Like, because it's just, it almost seems like it would have been unfair to have a guy like Cameron Meisner uh, in the OVC so obviously it's and it, it the second part of that story is kind of interesting that he was recruiting him to to CMO, um and then he ends up re- committing to Murray and then Steve Beezer ends up being the head coach at Missouri and coaching him anyway so it's kind of kind of funny how that all worked out um, one last thing speaking of the OVC um, and hat tip to a, a reader who emailed me this um, he uh, he mentioned that uh, Hunter Fain the catcher for Moorhead State is having a heck of a year um so shout alan robbins was the the reader who emailed me this and you know i'm aware of hunter Fain, and we picked Moorhead state and in my ovc preview to win the conference so it's a name i'm aware of but i really i guess wasn't appreciating the type of year he's having right now uh hitting 448 on the year with a 600 on base percentage and a 731 slugging percentage um you know he's been hit by a pitch 10 times in addition to a 17 walk so really just a, a nose for getting on base so um you know that's an offensive team in an offensive league but uh i think worth shouting out hunter fade for the type of year he's had i know that um you know in our preseason um surveys that we have with our coaches that was someone that coach mcguire kind of uh highlighted as a guy who they needed to have a big year and i'd say uh so far so good
1: it does not get much more on brand than uh, joe dropping in some solid ovc talks so <laughs> happy we, to uh, we, we are appreciative of uh of getting that in there um I have, uh, before, before we really get into my shout-outs, I have trivia time, and I know Joe knows the answer, so Joe, this is not for you. Do you know who has the longest winning streak in the country now that Arizona State has lost?
0: Well, I actually, I'm going to be honest with you, I actually saw your poll on Twitter yesterday, and I wanted to click on one of the teams just to kind of get an idea of who it may be. But I didn't want you to see if you can see it. I've never done one of those polls on Twitter. See that I was wrong on it.
1: I cannot so see who my you vote guess,
0: for. So I did. I didn't do it. I've got a lot of pride. <laughs> in it. I got a lot of pride, Teddy. So I didn't do it. But I want you to be wrong. I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to say Stony Brook.
1: Stony Brook is on a nice little streak. I, I think they're at eight. But the correct answer is Nebraska Omaha, which is at ten right uh-huh. now. The longest active streak in the country is Nebraska Omaha the Mavericks coming off of a sweep against Purdue Fort Wayne this weekend uh, they won the fun, the finale 26 to nothing um, and they are now 6-0 and in the Summit League and this is the longest winning streak for Omaha since 2011 when it was still in Division 2 um, so definitely shout out to Nebraska Omaha which has had some they have They've had some rough weather in Nebraska this uh, winter slash early spring, and I know they've really had to fight. I I mean, I know Creighton's been affected, and Creighton plays in TD Ameritrade. Uh, Nebraska-Omaha does not. And so if Creighton's fighting it, you know how bad um, Omaha is fighting it, and they have come to to get off to a nice start. And, um, you know, maybe uh, Oral Roberts has some competition in the Summit League this season. We'll see. I also wanted to mention East Carolina. Uh, we did not get to the Pirates today, uh, or really the American in general, uh, which opened play this weekend. But I was out uh, on Friday night to see East Carolina play UCF, and ECU um, completes a nice series sweep against UCF this weekend in Greenville, starts out the American three 3-0. ECU really seems to have found its stride over the last few weeks. They've um, swept three straight uh, weekend series, Marist at Maryland and now UCF so kind of increasingly the those their series wins are getting better and I it couldn't come at a better time for obviously as they get into conference play and uh, You know, I I, the the ECU offense was really really impressive this weekend last weekend It was more about the pitching at Maryland of course with Jake Kuchmancher uh, Excuse me throwing the perfect game this week was was definitely more about ECU's offense and they they really came to play. Spencer Brickhouse and, and Bryant Packard and Alec Burleson leading the way, but really the, the Pirates in general, offensively, were going really good. Uh, and it's going to get tougher now. They go to South Florida this weekend. It's like four straight weekends of, of really tough competition, mostly on the road. Uh, they have a series against UCLA coming up to um, you know in a couple weeks. Uh, but. This is a team that, you know, at least this weekend, very much looked like the favorites in the conference. I know UConn and Houston still will probably have something to say about that. Uh, UConn got a big series win down in Houston. Um, but right now, the Pirates rolling right along. And, and it was an impressive look there on Friday night. And, and I think that continued throughout the, the rest of the weekend there. Uh, so that'll do it for us today here on the Baseball America College podcast. You can check out uh, plenty more over at Baseballamerica.com. The full top 25, off the bat, uh, there'll be plenty more as the week continues from uh, from Dave, Joe, and myself. Uh, and you can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. It is Dave Serrano 11, and Joe is like you said at Joe on at Joe underscore on underscore sports. Got to get those underscores in there for Joe. Uh, Unfortunately. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, so make sure you're doing that. Make sure you subscribe to the Baseball America podcast so you get, uh, you know, all of the, the podcasts. Uh, on your favorite podcasting apps, you get them just delivered straight to your phone. You don't even have to think about, uh, oh, is it Monday? Is their podcast out? And, you know, no worries. It, it'll just show up their phone. And while you're subscribing, um, if you can uh, rate, review, uh, anything like that, it, it helps other people find the podcast, and we very much appreciate it. So with that, uh, we will look forward to talking to you again next week when we will have new top 25 for you uh, after what should be another fun weekend of college baseball. So for Joe and for Dave, thank you for listening.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Crispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.